Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro-seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Relax while we lovingly drizzle weird and wonderful science into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, we'll feature Video on the Move, Talking Plants, and Playing God with Starfish. But first up, here's the news with Therese Chen. In another case of knowing when to pick your battles, a recent study led by researchers from the Georgia Institute of Technology has revealed that environmental factors can determine resistance to infection in zooplankton. The zooplankton Daphnia dentifera is a freshwater species that periodically experiences epidemics from a yeast parasite, Meshnikovia bicuspidata. During the four-month study, researchers monitored the nutritional levels, that is, levels of nitrogen and phosphorus, and predation levels in seven Indiana lakes on a weekly basis, in addition to infection surveys, both in the field and in the lab, where Daphnia were collected prior to and when epidemics began to decline. The study has revealed that lakes with a greater concentration of nutrients and lower levels of predation possess Daphnia with a higher level of resistance to infection, whereas in lakes with fewer resources and higher levels of predation, the opposite is true. Epidemics are smaller, and Daphnia have increased susceptibility. There is a trade-off between resistance and reproduction because any resources an animal devotes to defense are not available for reproduction. When ecological factors favor small epidemics, it is better for hosts to invest in reproduction rather than defense, said by the study's lead author, Megan Duffy. Spencer R. Hall, an associate professor in the Indiana University's College of Arts and Sciences Department of Biology, believes that in addition to genetics and immunology, ecological context also plays an important role when one is attempting to predict the outcome of epidemic outbreaks. Anthropogenetic Manipulation of ecosystems, such as culling of predators and eutrophication, can noticeably boost disease prevalence. These factors can also prof- profoundly influence genetic composition of hosts, a less visible but still important consequence, he says. It appears that like animals, plants are also able to re- react to sounds and may even utilise it for communication. The two-year study, which was published in the journal Trends in Plant Science, was the collaborative work of postdoctoral research fellow Dr. Monica Gargliano and colleagues Professor Daniel Robert at the University of Bristol and Professor Stefano Mercuso at the University of Florence. Everyone knows that plants react to light, and scientists also know that plants use volatile chemicals to communicate with each other. For instance, when danger, such as herbivores, approaches, Dr. Gagliano said. I was working one day in my herb garden and started to wonder if maybe plants were also sensitive to sounds. 
Using a device known as a microscanning laser Doppler vibrometer, they were able to measure acoustic emissions, or clicking sounds, from the roots of young corn. They also found that, in a response not too dissimilar to light, when suspended in water, the roots would lean towards a continuous sound source emitted in the frequency range of 220 hertz. With the potential importance of sound and mechanoreception in the ecology of plants, Dr. Gagliano is hopeful that the findings in their study will generate more research in the field. For example, the mechanisms behind the sound production, as well as their adaptive value, remain unknown. At present, she is also researching the potential for plants to exhibit memory and learning. And new scientist talks about fracking irony. Fracking is when you crack open solid rock to squeeze out natural gas. And it's the new gold rush all over the world because methane is thought to be a nicer thing to burn than coal or oil because when you burn methane, you create less carbon dioxide. But of course, methane itself is a greenhouse gas that warms the atmosphere. So it's not necessarily a great thing when the methane escapes. But it turns out there's something else going on. One of the great hopes for saving the world from fossil fuel while still doing business as usual is carbon capture. Carbon capture means you get the carbon dioxide from the waste products as you burn your fossil fuels and you put it deep underground into porous rock. Now, the thing about putting gas into porous rock is that gas goes through porous rock. It doesn't just stay there. So you need a capstone to stop the gas coming out. Otherwise, you pump the carbon dioxide in and it'll just leak out again. So you need capstones. Turns out that porous rock that's good for storing gas is where gas is stored. So when you want to get natural gas, you've got to break the capstones that are keeping the gas in in order to let the methane out. This means that the porous rock is no longer any good for storing carbon dioxide. So all the world's best places for storing carbon dioxide from burning coal and oil, or even methane for that matter, are at the moment being destroyed by people who are blowing them up to make holes to let out the natural gas. So all these capstones will go, or at least the capstones will have enough holes in them that it could be a problem. So what's needed will be someone to go through and estimate exactly how much they need to set aside of porous rock and capstone in order to put carbon dioxide into the porous rock, and how much they can get away with fracking, with exploding and drilling holes through, to get at the natural gas. Because if they just keep going, there'll be nowhere left to store the carbon dioxide. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio, diffusion at 2SER.com, brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network, into Sydney on 2SER 107.3, and the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Gravity 
gravity keeps me on the ground. All mass attracts all other mass, a force proportional to mass one and two, and inversely two. The distance between them squared. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Gravity is working with me. And gravity makes apples fall to ground. Twice the mass has twice the pull, but the force on each is still equal. It keeps the moon and the satellites going round. On each is still equal. It keeps the moon and the satellites going round. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Gravity, the force that makes weight on me. General relativity. How can that be? The force between us all is. The force between us all is. The force between us all is. Gravity between us all is. Gravity between us all is. Gravity between, gravity between us all is. And that was Derek Muller with Gravity. And now the last of the noisy Nicta interviews. My apologies for the sound quality on these interviews. The high concrete walls of the former train building rooms and the conversations of 600 participants were a little too much for my old recorder. Max Ott of NICTA, the National Information Communications Technology Australia Research Group, is solving the problems of mobile video. He spoke with me at the NICTA presentation at the Carriage Works at the Australia Technology Park in Redfern, and I began by asking him what's wrong with mobile video. Have you tried it? Oh, yes. <laughs> you had a good user experience? It's very low resolution for a start. Yes. Have you ever tried watching around UTS? Have you ever tried to watch uh, if you're on the wrong carrier? It's, it actually doesn't work. Right? Things it's, drop out. Yes. Uh, it takes a long time to start. 
and then when it actually starts, it picks up a lot. Uh, there is reports, uh, we just have like a little study here, yes. that 5 to 40% of video stalls, I think actually in Australia it's even more than that. Right? Mm. And when that happens, people give up on it. They do. And uh, actually we are trained now not to even bother. So, mm. And it makes such a difference. I mean, there's the, the Arab Spring, the protesters. Yeah, they've got video streaming on their phones, and it make, it's important. It's people, citizen, you know, citizen journalists reporting around the world. So people shouldn't be discouraged from doing it. So yeah, what's the solution? So, so, so the, the solution is we're basically um, we're predicting what kind of uh, videos, what kind of content you're interested in, and then we actually prefetch that, download that to your phone when you have a good network connection, like you know, you're at home, you home Wi-Fi or yes. at school. Or, so there are usually during the day, there are times when you actually have very good connections. We can download things, and 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 the new generation of phones have heaps of storage, and we can store that there. And then when you actually uh, want to watch it, you press the the, the the play button, and it plays immediately, and it plays consistently. Wow. So the whole trick is to correctly predict what people want That's great. That's and great. fetch it at times when they're not worried about the That's bandwidth. Great. That's great. That's great. Some people have a nighttime and a daytime broadband bandwidth and things like that. Yeah, so so we, we're learning, so we're doing a, a, a lot of learning on the phone. So we take phones now, have all kinds of sensors, they know where they are, location, and uh, know about the network. They have temperature sensors, light sensors, mm. barometers, yes. whatever. Uh, and we take all that information, and but process this on the phone, so you don't have to worry about privacy leaks. We're not sending it to a big server yes. and, and, and punching it. We're doing it all on the phone, and and uh, we're not only learning what kind of content you're interested, but we also learn the context, the situation in which you're interested. Like in the morning, you know, when you go, when you go to work or to school, and during the commute. You may be the morning. You may be interested in different content than than when you're at work or at school, right. or when you go home, or when you're in the evening when you're sitting on the sofa with your legs up. Yes. So yet, yet again, it's not that it will be very different, but the preference will be different. So right. it's the ranking will be different, and that's what we're learning and and then presenting it to you the top videos yes. which we think will be of most interest to you at, at that. Given point in time. So, what sort of device will you need? Will you need lots of memory for this to work? So, uh, at the moment, it only works on Android yep. devices because that's the one we can, uh, which has the right capabilities for us. But any any sort of, uh, you know, not really top of the line, but uh, sort of second or third, yes. has has enough memory to do that, and and and. The amount of memory, you know, six months down the road, it's twice as much. That's true. So it's 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 not becoming an issue. It's it's uh, what we have in there. Couple of hours of videos is, is quite easy to store on most devices. And right, and I guess you just cycle through and delete the ones that people don't. Oh yeah, watch no, or, that's basically yeah. we learn all the time and try yeah. to refresh it using your online social network feeds and, mm. and all that one to, to look for contents your friends and uh, talk about and then on Twitter and all that. We're looking at all those streams 
and and, uh, and and refreshing the content. Yeah. So is this related to the project of the N.TV project? Or is this uh, yes, we're in the same we're in the same uh, the same group, and and uh, we have been working on each other's projects. Right. So there is a lot of overlap. Uh, we are concentrating on the mobile side. Right. Right. And and they are on the on the launch room. Yes. It's a it's a very different setting to a certain degree. The the core ideas, the core concepts are the same. It's just a different specialization. And uh, in fact, we uh, in a later stage we may come back together because it, it it's going to the mobile phone is more and more becoming the universal media controller. Yes. So it becomes a universal media controller. And the big problem with uh, set up with lounge room recommendations is that it's very hard to know who is actually in the room, who is watching the TV. Yes. Now with more and more people carrying a mobile device all the time, which is networked, we can actually use that to identify who is sitting in front of it. We're not just identifying who is sitting in front, we can also then learn about their preferences and, and merge the preferences and maybe make recommendations which combine the interests of everybody who's sitting in front of the TV. So it's a much more personal experience. It's a much more personalized thing, yes. And I notice on your sign that you're looking for beta testers. Yes, so if the, uh, the, the, the company is called Incoming uh, Media, incoming-media.com. If you go there, you can sign up for become a beta tester. It's going to be on the Android market. Terrific. Very quickly, so it's yeah, so incoming the, what media. Will, what will be called on the Android market? Do you know the name? The application is called Incoming. Oh, there we go. Incoming media. So media is coming to you. You don't yes. have to go. Well, that, that's that's terrific. All right, so people should look for incoming on the Android market and they should go to incoming-media.com on the web to sign up for those beta testers. Yes, yes. Terrific. Well, that sounds wonderful. Thank you All very right. much. Good. Thanks very much. That was Max Ott of the National Information Communications Technology Australia Research Group, NICTA, fixing mobile video. Look for incoming on the Android app market or incoming.com.au to sign up as a beta tester. Next up... I am the very model of a singularitarian with Charlie Cam. I am the very model of a singularitarian. I'm combination transhuman and model less extropian. Aggressively, I'm changing all my body's biochemistry because my body's heritage is altered genetically. Replacing all the cells these bunches here just temporarily. The pattern of my brain and body's weather's continuity. I'll try to improve these patterns with optimal biology. But how will I do that? I need to be smarter. Ah, yes. I'll expand my mental faculties by merging with technology. Expand his mental faculties by merging with technology. Expand his mental faculties by merging with technology. Expand his mental faculties by merging with technology. And with a new technology, renewable clean energy, remove our pathogens and overcome hunger and poverty. In short, I am a transhuman, a modalist extropian. I am the very model of a singularitarian. In short, he is a transhuman, a modalist extropian. He is the very model of a singularitarian. Knowledge in all forms we took art, science, and technology. Our brains and bodies are precious and any loss of tragedy. Important recognitions and insights are what we should retain while we destroy all of the useless information that remains. And when a person dies, we lose a profound pattern tragedy. And the part of ourselves that interacted with them literally. Religious folks may rationalize that death is really something good. Something good? 
something good? Huh? I think they changed our minds of singularity were understood. I think they changed our minds of singularity were understood. I think they changed our minds of singularity were understood. I think they changed our minds of singularity were understood. I create and appreciate all of the knowledge that I know to greater order, even though complexity I know may grow. In short, I am a transhuman immortalist extropian. I am the very model of a singularitarian. The purpose of the universe is that of all our human lives. Since no aliens have come forth this much, we can now rationalize. We'll spread our thoughts with nanobots that know how to self-replicate. Through solar system, Milky Way, or anywhere we designate. Ideas are our products that will solve the problems of our fate. And new ideas for the problems we can't yet articulate. Let's leverage all our knowledge from the returns that accelerate. Returns that accelerate? Sounds familiar. I guess the law of accelerating returns by Ray Kurzweil. Of course, of course. So the outcome of the universe is something we can contemplate. The outcome of the universe is something we can contemplate. The outcome of the universe is something we can contemplate. The outcome of the universe is something we can contemplate. The singularity is near, but I won't be indifferent. In case something should go awry, I'll do my best to prevent. Because I am a transhuman immortalist extropian. I am the very model of a singularitarian. Because he is a transhuman immortalist extropian. He is the very model of a singularitarian. Yes! Singularity! Woohoo! Singularity is here! Singularity is near! Singularity! Next up, it's In the Name of Science with Dr. Julianne Popple. She caught up with University of Sydney PhD student Dave McElroy to talk about sea star sperm. Some people will do amazing and bizarre things in the name of love. Others will do it in the name of their country. But nothing, nothing compares to what some will do in the name of science. What is the strangest thing you've done in the name of science? Well, I, uh, I've done a few strange things, um, but the strangest would have to be what I did during my honours, um, which was play God with starfish. I, um, I, would, I would have to uh, figure out what gender they were, because basically I was looking at, uh, cli- I was doing climate change research, and we were interested in finding out whether the um, whether st- sea stars uh, were vulnerable to, to, to climate change, to climate change stress such as temperature, such as global warming and ocean acidification. Um, and we were interested in looking at the most vulnerable ones, which are unfortunately the babies. What that required was playing a bit of God uh, with the starfish, which meant that um, I needed to source starfish sperm and uh, starfish eggs. Now, the guys, that's easy because they're all always ready to go. How does one sort uh, starfish sperm? Um, basically, we just take a bit of their gonad and um, mush it up. Don't worry, it grows back. The ladies, on the other hand, are a little bit more difficult, as you would expect. We'd need to cover them with this little ovulatory hormone, which about two or three hours after doing that, they spawn. I wish we had something for people. Well, not something that would make them spawn, but, you know, <laughs> some sort of equivalent. And so... Anyway, I'd, I'd been doing this very long experiment for about... Oh, I'd been at the office for maybe 12 hours. I was very tired, very, very tired. And I'd finished, thankfully, and I was at the cleaning up stage. Now, I had my little petri dish of starfish sperm that I'd been using throughout the day, and it was sitting right at the bottom of the sink. And I reached over, holding this, this armload of beakers, and uh, turned on the hot water, and it came out absolutely piping hot. And burnt my hand, I dropped the beakers into the sink which smashed 
and then the uh, jet of hot water hit the bottom of the dish, the petri dish, and actually emptied the entire dish all over my face. In fact, it kind of aerated it, so it misted the sperm, um, and and so that burnt a little bit as well. And then I guess <laughs> the worst bit about that was having to get home from there um, on on the bus, and I was that person on the bus that smells kind of funny, and everyone has to move away from. So it. you went home on the bus. Smelling of starfish spunk. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of, it kind of smells like pikelet batter, but saltier. I'll never look at pikelets in the same way again. <laughs> Back to the science of uh, yeah. why you were collecting uh, starfish sperm and eggs. What did you find in the end? Was there an effect of climate? Um, yeah, and, and, it, and it appeared that, that it was the, the young'uns, the baby starfish, that were actually the most vulnerable. Often people think about, um, you know, the strong adults and things, you know, these starfish, they live in high up in the intertidal where they're constantly being exposed to all sorts of funny things. But it only takes one stage of that, of that starfish life cycle to fall over and then everything's down. So things look a little bit, little bit dire. What kind of degree of change is enough to disrupt the entire life cycle? Only a few degrees, sort of what's expected in that best case scenario. If we um, pull back emissions and, and try and keep them at, I guess, levels that we have now. Um, certainly if we continue business as usual, then things are looking even worse. It's a pretty dire scenario. Yeah, yeah, it's um, <laughs> definitely a lot, a lot uh, less lighthearted than getting drenched in starfish spunk. Well, you're doing it all in the name of a good cause. Thanks for talking to me, David. That was Dave McElroy talking to Julianne Popple about the hot topic of climate change and sea star sex. And that's all from us in this edition of Diffusion. If you'd like to contact us, if you have feedback, comments, suggestions, stories, it just Tell us whether you like us or not. If you'd like to broadcast a story on Diffusion and hear your own voice, communicating science on radio, then send an email to diffusion at 2scr.com. That's diffusion at 2scr.com. Or subscribe to our podcast on the website www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the program were Therese Chen and Julianne Popple. I produced Diffusion in the studios of 2SCR in Sydney, and Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Looking at the URL, the first thing that sticks out is the colon. And how about a slashing or cutting sound for the slashes? To complete the experience, we might throw in the HTTP and maybe some kind of download sound www.diffusionradio.com Lachlan Watmore on guitar